Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. Oh man, it feels so good to say that. My name is Gavriel Hakohen. I am here once again after so long with my best friend and co-host, Sadie Carpenter. Hi everybody. I am really happy to be back and doing the show again, back in the swing of things, kind of finding my new normal. It's good to have you back. Well, it's good to be back. Uh, I want to start this by updating everybody as quickly as I can on what's been going on with me. And I have a couple of thank yous, of course. Um, so my father passed away while on vacation with my mother in Antigua. They were celebrating their 40th anniversary a few months early. And because he was an American citizen and was buried in the U.S., but passed away in a foreign country, there was just mountains of paperwork and legal red tape that we had to go through to bring his body home so that we could give him the funeral that he wanted and the funeral that we wanted to give him. Fortunately, we were able to complete that. It was not nearly as quick as we would have liked, 
Um, but we were able to give him a service that we were really proud of and we feel like it would have been what he wanted. And that was a huge source of comfort to us to feel like we gave him what he wanted. Uh, Daddy preached so many funerals and he he just he had a very specific way of doing them and he was very intentional about getting everything done right. So we wanted to do our best by him and try to give him the funeral that he would have planned. And I'm really glad that we were able to do it. If you're a regular listener to our show, you probably know that my dad was incredibly close with me and that this is a huge loss. And not just for me and my family, but for so many people who knew and loved him. He was the ultimate people person. He was such a kind and loving person. And I will talk about his story and his legacy more in the future. One thing that daddy always taught me was to give and to do things for people without expectation of return. It wasn't cynical. It wasn't like, oh, you do all these things for people, but they will never do the same for you. It wasn't like that at all. It was more like, it's better to give than to receive. And we are a family who has a mission to support others. So I didn't expect the just outpouring of love and support that I got from all of you in my time of need. So I want to thank a few groups of people and then we can just move on to our episode. I want to thank everyone who commented or sent messages of support. My mom's biggest comfort in all of this is knowing that my dad influenced people and touched lives because that's what he really lived for. She really needed to know that he accomplished his mission. All of your comments and messages were just what she needed to hear. I read a lot of them to her while I was in Alabama. And she was so uplifted by knowing that there were hundreds and hundreds of people who he helped through my podcast, even though he never knew you or met you. She was so encouraged by all the kind thoughts and intentions and prayers that you expressed. I also, of course, want to thank all of the people who donated money. If I told you how much this event cost my family, it is an absolutely sickening number. Like, like think most people's yearly salary or more. And we're fine. My mother's provided for. No one is going to be left destitute by this event. But having the liquid cash on hand to just eat when I was hungry, just get a flight, get a funeral dress for Chuck, and not have to worry about my account balance, that was such a stress relief in an unbelievably stressful time. For accountability, because a lot of people did send me money, I want to let you know what I did with that. So I used the cash that I needed to get to Alabama and get my immediate needs, food, clothing, shampoo, whatever, cared for while I was there. And then what I had left over at the end went to my mom to care for the cost of bringing my dad's body home and giving him a proper funeral and burial. Because of you, because of our podcast community, my mom and I were able to just order food. Somebody sent me a Grubhub gift card, and my mom and I got Panda Express, and Chuck loved the noodles. So... Thank you on Chuck's behalf for that one. But I had, because of all of you, I had coffee to stay alert on airplanes and Chuck had nice shoes for the funeral and my husband's unpaid days off work beyond his bereavement leave won't be a burden. So many things, small and huge, that were taken care of. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. And finally, I want to thank those of you who were a personal support to me. The early days of grief were just a blur. And a lot of times... I just needed somebody to be on the phone because I couldn't stand being alone with my thoughts. And my husband was caring for the baby most of the time, and he needed rest. There are several of you who were there for me 
on the phone or on text messages and just listen to me kind of go in circles for hours. And I'll never forget that. I really wish that we'd been able to get your dad on the show for an episode. Yeah, I do too. I'll, I'll tell you what, my dad left me with so few I wish I hads and so many I'm glad I dids. And a lot of my I wish I hads are just time related. Like, I wish he had been able to see Chuck grow up. But that's not a regret. It's not his fault. It's not my fault. It's just that, that, it, that it didn't happen and it's sad. Having him on the show is one of those wish I hads that just he didn't have the time for and we didn't know it. But we are going to find a way to bring his story to our audience. He wanted to finish his book first. He was always talking about it like, oh, come on. Once I finish the book, I'm working on a book and it'll be done later this year. <laughs> yeah, he, he was writing his doctoral dissertation actually on the topic of the history of the IFB. And he just kept learning more and more and going deeper and deeper into it. And as a result, it never got finished because it kept it wasn't that he wasn't getting a lot done on it. It was just that the topic kept expanding as he researched it. Extremely on brand. Um, he's like the George R.R. R. Martin of... Uh... <laughs> it is extremely on brand. Um, yeah. It did turn out, though, that he wrote so many words that the college is going to posthumously award him his doctorate. So even though he didn't get it done, he wrote enough words to qualify as a dissertation, which, once again, is very on brand. So uh, for our listeners, I know I mentioned this is an update episode where we talked about this. I'm, I met him. We got lunch and we hung out for like the afternoon. That was almost a year ago. Wow. Oh, man, great time. Like I, I had so much fun when I got to hang out with him. He was such a great guy. Uh, extremely charismatic and engaging person. Um, you know, I could have just sat there and listened to him tell me stories about stuff like all like all day. Days and like literally days and days and days. I could have just like sat there and had him tell me stuff. I, I don't know. I, I wish everybody who listens to this because you know, I mean, you guys find Sadie's story. You would have, you would have loved him. You guys really would have loved him. He was such a great guy. I literally wish every person in the world had been able to meet him. He was one of those people. Just when he met you, he was so engaging and just yes. You when he met you. You, for however long you were in his presence, were the most important person in the world. Oh, yeah. And he was just one of those people. I feel like if he had lived to 100 years old, we still would have been saying that he was gone too soon. So I think what we're going to do is there are so many clips of him from his podcast, from his sermons, videos of him that the family has. We're going to do a show eventually where we tell his story and I'll play some clips of him so that you can sort of get to know who he was. I'm just, I'm not able to listen to his voice yet. It's been a month at this point, but I'm still really avoiding it. But when I, when I feel like I can do it, we're going to put together a show where you can hear some of his stories. Is that the, and so we're going to share the video when we do that. Of yeah, the... I have a very, 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 <laughs> um, he kind of played a prank on you. <laughs> oh, it was the funniest funniest thing that <laughs> ever was, like i would he was a big prankster um <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you some i'll tell you i'm not going to get into it now i'll tell you some of the some of the stories of things he pulled on me over the years and the one time i got him back um 
But I have I have a really funny video of him pulling a classic prank on Gavi. It was very funny. Oh, it was great. And you know, like aside from all of that, he was he was a, an excellent source of like information for us. If Sadie was confused about like a date or so, like we were trying to double check something because we'd read conflicting reports, he would he he would tell us. Like he had so many, so many stories that he, that he told ended up on the show. Yeah. Like he was there for the Jack Hiles poison sermon. And I wanted to know what date the sermon was preached. So instead of spending like five hours trying to look it up, I just called him and he told me what date it was. So I don't know how I'm going to write episodes without him. Well, I mean, we'll do fine. No. We'll, we'll, be we'll fine. still bring It'll, you it... <laughs> uh, the best episodes that we possibly can. I, I wrote down a lot of what he said uh like the spring program episode i just called him and asked him a loaded question that i knew would kind of get him wound up and then just let him go and put him on speaker and sat and just typed just took it like like i was taking dictation just took down what he wrote or what he spoke and then i used that as notes for the episode Wow. I, I didn't know like quite that, but that does, I mean, but he was there doing all of the spring program. Yeah. He came up with themes like, for the spring program and then brother Hiles would act like it was his idea. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's how it worked. I'm pretty sure he told you one of those stories. God, I, I do remember. I remember that so vividly. We're, we're doing uh today's episode is a Q and a episode though. And I'm, I'm glad we got uh we got a chance on the show, at least right now, to memorialize your father a little bit. We'll do a little bit more later. Yeah, I just want to wait until it's until I'm at a place where it's going to be a happy episode and not a downer. Because I feel like there's um there's a point coming in the future where I'll be able to express who he was to our listeners, but it'll be a, a positive and uplifting thing, and it won't be depressing. Yeah, I mean, you'll still cry, but yeah, but. <laughs> <laughs> maybe oh, man, less cry less so, so before we get into all of the questions that you've sent us uh i just need to go on the spiel man it's been a while since i've said all this stuff but the leaving eden podcast is a podcast about sadie carpenter's life in an escape from the independent fundamental baptist cult which is the cult in which she was raised we talk about this cult we talk about other cults we talk about religion we talk about fundamentalism we talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole it is our goal to promote freedom of mind freedom of thought and freedom of religion so if you like this show if you're a fan of the show there's a couple of things that you can do to support it you can join our patreon at patreon.com slash leaving eden podcast where we have extended and uncensored episodes you can join our facebook group which is facebook.com slash group slash eden exodus you can join our subreddit which is reddit.com slash r slash eden exodus uh, and you can recommend our show to your friends your family your coworkers, anybody that you hate anybody that you love anybody who you think would like this show or would benefit from hearing it uh am i missing anything well you Sadie? forgot you forgot to <laughs> You forgot to announce your um, exciting new career as the guy who reads the side effects on the drugs at the end of the radio commercial. <laughs> oh, wait, I did forget one thing. It's that Leaving Eden podcast, we're dropping our own NFTs. Baby. No, we're not. We're absolutely not doing <laughs> Uh Man. If we like, if we're ever that desperate for cash, I don't know what we'll do. Something not not that. Did you do uh, the Faith Promise Missions patrons? Oh yeah, I have to thank our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons. All of you people who are our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons, we love you more than the people who give us less money Bobby. than you do. Uh, 
<laughs> no, that's not true. We actually love everybody with no uh, 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 correlation All to All listeners are equal, but some listeners are more equal than others. <laughs> okay. So we have uh, uh, our Faith Promise Mission tier patrons. We have Andrew. Is it Rucant or Roussant? I don't know. It looks like Andrew Rousson, R-O-U-C-A-N-T. It depends on, I I, I don't know. I'm going to pretend it's French. Andrew Rousson. Brittany, it's Brittany. Uh, We have a Carrie R. We have Crystal Patterson. We have Dee Dee Keppel. We have Eleanor Donahue. We have Emery Fairlosser, Hope Norum, Jessica Tambo, Tambo like Rambo, K. Terwee, Catherine Schneider, Kathleen Moncrief, Kristen Marie, Linda Morgan, Mary Martin, a.k.a. the actress that played Peter Pan on Broadway, uh, Rachel Bernadowitz, uh, Rebecca Hoyt, somebody whose name on here is Sadie's actual BFF. I don't know who that is, but... Um, oh, that's that's Morgan. Oh, okay. Well, your actual BFF, uh, Sarah Reese. Finally, Wes the Cowboy. We love you, Wes the Cowboy. Morgan is, Morgan is trying to poach me from the BFF spot, so you better watch your back. You could have multiple BFFs. That's Yeah, that's a good thing because I do. What's the... We're poly BFFers. <laughs> <laughs> monogamously married but Polly in the bff world you know honestly i'm down Polly in the bff i'm down world. for that i'm not the jealous type okay i don't feel like i need to be your only bff you like i understand that our friendship is very powerful but that there are some things that i just can't give you <laughs> <laughs> on that lovely note um <laughs> yeah okay uh, uh that was that was good. I'm I'm enjoying um like distraction humor right now is really filling a need <laughs> in my life. Um speaking uh, of faith promise missions, we were supposed to have a video hangout and for for obvious reasons that didn't happen. We need to reschedule that. Because I do I do want to see all of our faith promise missions tier people's beautiful faces. Yeah, and speaking of faith promise missions, uh we have a uh, voice recording uh, of Dee Dee Keppel, who is a Faith Promise Missions tier patron, and she sent us this voice recording of her question. So let's get into it. Hey, y'all. It's Dee Dee. I just wanted to say that I love the show, everything about the show. You guys make my life better every week. Thank you. So the questions that I had or have, I don't really know what the grammar there is. Hashtag home learned. Um, our Sadie, I wanted to ask you what things from your upbringing do you want to impart to Chuck and what things are you intentionally not imparting to Chuck? So like what things would you say, well, this was beneficial to my life and I want to pass that on to my daughter or child. And, um, you know, what things are you most concerned with? Hey, I'm not passing that on. And then Gavi, my question for you was, I just wanted to know like the top five things you're looking for in a wife, because I'm keeping my eye out for you. Like, I mean, I got you back, bro. So I really like that question from Didi. I especially like the part. There's a part for you. There's a part for me. I love Didi. And I love this question. Didi, we've met you on our, our patron hangout. You're a great person. We love you. You're special. Um, Sadie, do you want to get into this? Yeah, this is a question that I've been asked more than once, although this is maybe the best phrased that I've heard it. There are a couple things from my upbringing that I found exceptionally useful as an adult. The first one that I would pass down to Chuck is kids learning to do grown-up jobs 
I referenced this in the toxic masculinity episode talking about teenage boys doing roofing or construction work with their dads. And we've also talked a lot about parentification when this goes too far and teenage girls in particular are expected to do almost 24-7 childcare and housecare. When I was growing up, I was expected to clean the church building without pay. I was expected to take care of a lot of babies. And this kind of felt like forced labor. So I wouldn't want Chuck or any future kids I might have to feel like they're doing forced unpaid work. But I do absolutely expect her, Jonathan and I agree that As children get older, there are age-appropriate expectations for them to have. As someone who lives in the family home, I live in the family home, and I do things to keep it up. Jonathan lives in the home, and he does things to keep it up. So as a child gets older, it is appropriate to have expectations that this is what you do as somebody who lives here and you're part of the family. So I absolutely expect to teach her house maintenance, cleaning and cooking, but also how to hang a picture frame or fix a toilet. I want her to know how to change a tire and mow a lawn and teach her those life skills and have expectations that are appropriate of her age and her skills and her time, but things things that are expected of her to do as far as adult type labor. Yeah. I would also assume that you're not going to be the only one who's teaching her this stuff either, you know? Right. Like- Jonathan is one of those surprisingly handy people. Like you look at him and you think, sure, he seems like a competent guy, but he's actually more knowledgeable about household stuff than you would think. He taught me how to patch a wall if there's a ding or a nail hole in it. He taught me how to use a level, and he taught me how to starch a shirt. So the the kind of thing that's fairly basic, but not everybody would be confident in all of those areas. So we both want to teach Chuck that kind of thing. Yeah. So how old is it Like when when she's going to start to learn to do that? That's hard to predict, but knowing Jonathan, she'll probably have a baby tool belt by the time she's four because he already has Mm. one in his Amazon cart and has since she was like a month old. Yeah, handiwork is really fun. Like, you know, oh, I'm helping daddy, you know, with the the baby tool belt. You sit there, you like, (laughs) ah, yeah. And Jonathan, (laughs) like every couple months, he asks me if I think she's old enough for the baby tool belt yet. No, I totally get that. My dad had a wood shop in the basement growing up. I learned a lot of really valuable skills doing that, you know. Yeah, and he's he's super jazzed about getting to that age where he can start teaching her that kind of thing. That is exciting. It's it's super fun. I hope she gets into it. She might not. It might not be for her. But. Well, we'll see. We'll see what she likes. And I think also like in our house, um, and I may have mentioned this before, I love doing laundry and I hate doing dishes. Jonathan hates doing dishes or hates doing laundry and loves doing dishes. So I take care of most of the laundry and he takes care of most of the dishes because it just makes sense Mm. that that's what we like and what we don't like. Whatever Chuck, she'll need to learn how to be competent at a lot of life skills. But as she gets older and she has one chore that she prefers over others, that can be her thing. That's fine. So one other thing that I would like to hold on to from my childhood and pass on to her would be being confident, talking to strangers in safe situations. As a pastor's kid, I was expected to be on all the time. Like you have to have a friendly persona, look adults in the eye when you're talking, that sort of thing. And just like teaching kids skills can be pushed too far. This can be pushed too far. I've seen this be taken to the extreme 
that children are not allowed to have meltdowns, they're not allowed to have or show emotions, that's all, that's obviously not good. But for me, as an adult, I don't have any issue with public speaking. I don't have a hard time with job interviews. I don't have a hard time talking to new people. I can just meet somebody and find a connection and pull them out of their shell. And I think that that is a skill that can be taught. And I think that giving your child confidence and awareness of this is a safe situation or this is not a safe situation, but pushing them appropriately to talk to people when it is a safe situation, that could be a great start. So are you going to teach her the Scientology arc triangle or not? Probably not in the exact words. I said in an earlier episode that we're trying to limit her sugar until she's two or three. So based on that concept, I think we should probably limit her cult exposure until she's at least (laughs) age seven. But yeah, I would teach her those principles of how to connect with people. As far as what I'm purposely leaving out, what I'm purposely trying not to pass down to her, I think the big one is fear of hell. I'm not going to try to keep her life free of religion, but I'm trying to keep the ideas of hell, guilt, sin, that sort of thing out of her head until she's old enough to comprehend them. I don't want those to be something that she learns before she remembers learning. Like when she's old enough that she can understand, oh, some people believe this way, other people believe that way. That's the time to introduce those concepts. I don't want them to just be something that have always been in her head. I'm not going to sit her down and tell her she's a sinner. I'm not going to mention hell to her. And then one day if she asks me about it, then I'll explain my beliefs on that and try to give her a concept of the different ways that people think about those things. So I take it you're also not going to tell her that she's not allowed to wear pants except for culottes because those don't count for like reasons. <laughs> oh yeah, culottes. Um, that is another thing that I'm going to make sure she never hears of. What if, because like I, I saw this, they're, apparently they're bringing back thin eyebrows and low-waisted jeans like it's 2005 nope. again. Uh, yeah, everyone uh, like, like no way. But like what if it's 2035? She's starting high school and culottes are in fashion. Like they are the thing. Like denim culottes are the things that all the cool kids are wearing. What are you going to do? I will be extremely disappointed. (laughs) But I'll already know how to sew them. So I guess that's a bonus. (laughs) No, but like they're going to be selling them in the store and you're just going to be like, okay, no, none of this store brand. (laughs) I'm going to teach you how to make your (laughs) own. Uh, I, I seriously hope not, but I'm also very anti this news, the the return of the skinny eyebrows. My eyebrows have been... You didn't been, know about that? Huh? Have you have you heard about this? I it's, see, yes. I I very recently saw an article about this, and I am not, I'm not down for it. I'm not touching my eyebrows. They have been the same for like 10 years, and I'm not changing them. God, the early two, like, pop punk is back. Uh, skinny eyebrows are pop back. Pop punk is fine. Yeah, pop punk is fine. But what happens when the bump it comes back? Do you think the bump it's going to make a comeback? <laughs> oh, man, I hope not. My uh, high school bump it pictures are like the most cringe of my entire existence. Jersey Shore is going to come back, man. A GTL is going to come back. Oh, and I hope uh, it's not like the fake tan, too, because I've really enjoyed being super pale for the last few years. Yeah. I'm I'm so I'm literally so my baby's skin has never seen the sun because we live in Portland and she's a baby. And it's been a pandemic. She's dark her her skin tone is darker than mine is. Wow. 
because I'm just that pale. You're like one of the Twilight vampires. Yeah, kind of. And I really like people celebrating their natural skin tone, whatever that is. And because I, ugh, I really love that. And I really love not feeling like I have to tan. So basically what I'm saying is I, I found my fashion peak and the world can go on without me. You know what? I dig it. That's what uh, Jill Rodriguez did. Is that she decided that her fashion peaked in 1987 and she never left 1987. And she's just been holding on to that for years and years and years and it's gone in and out of style many times. So who knows? Who knows? <laughs> so let's let's answer the second half of that question because this episode is not just one question and we go off on an answer. This question this episode actually has multiple questions. Wow. Uh, what are the top five things that you're looking for in a wife? So I know that Didi probably wants to hear me give like a top five countdown of top five qualities or attributes. Uh, you, like, you know how in How I Met Your Mother, Ted Mosby has like a list of things. Like he's like, she has to like Pablo Neruda and she has to play the bass guitar. And yes, I mean, that that yeah, that actually, you know what? That reminds me of like an earlier episode of the show, of our show. Do you remember when we uh, reviewed uh, Dating with a Purpose, a.k.a. the dating manual written by a convicted pedophile? A.k.a. Dating with a Purpose. How could I forget? Yeah. That's not going to be the only time that you hear the word porpoise in this episode. Uh, (laughs) Oh, that's weird. Yeah. You'll find out later. (laughs) I don't don't know what this is. This is going to be an interesting one. But like in that book, Jack Scopp told a story where he's talking to this young man and he says, "Okay, well, what qualities are you looking for in a wife? And this young man uh, has a whole like page long list of things. You know, she must be on fire for God. She must sing solos in the choir. She must have a meek and gentle like, you know, like that. And then he asks the guy to turn over the paper and says, "Okay, write down what you have to offer. Mm hmm. You remember that? Yeah. Oh, so are you going to tell us what you have to offer a potential wife? No, that's not what I'm going to do here. Is uh, uh, what what I'm trying to say is like if you have a list of like requirements, you know what I'm saying. That's like giving yourself reasons to reject people who, who might be like great people mm. who might be amazing. It might. Be, it's just giving myself reasons to reject women because like if you come up with like five requirements. You know, you, what What are you doing? You're, you're creating, you're constructing a fictional person in your head. And then even if you meet somebody that meets all 100% of like your five requirements or whatever, and you're lucky enough that she also happens to be attracted to you, but then you meet her and, and you know, she meets all your requirements and you realize that she's not as 100% perfect as what you had in your imagination, then you're never going to be happy, right? In a good relationship, like you need to see your partner for who they are, not for who you wish they were. That's a very wise thing to say. You all know this from listening to the show that I am a very specific kind of person. I have a singular vibe that is difficult to replicate. And pretty much you won't know if you like me or not until you meet me. And then when you meet me, you will immediately know whether or not you like me. That's that's kind of how I am. Um, some people find me super off-putting um, and they don't like me at all, which is fine. And it's the same the other way around. Sadie knows this. Uh, like how many times have you Sadie, have you said to me, oh, what about her? She's beautiful. Or like, you know, we'll be out somewhere and you, you'll see a woman. You'll be like, oh, that woman's so hot. And I'm like, uh, not like not my thing. Yeah, right? that has that has definitely happened. 
Or like, um, yeah. like there have been people I've come across on Instagram and I've been like, oh, cute, Jewish. This is everything you're looking for. Here you go. And you're just like, nah. Like, yeah. And I'm like, why? <laughs> I feel like, but I, as much as I like to tease about that, I know that you're looking for somebody who is an emotional match even more than you're looking for somebody that's a physical attraction match. I feel like you really need somebody who's going to be on your level and bless your heart. You just have a very specific level. So did you, oh, hold on. Did you just say bless your heart to me? Isn't that like go f*** yourself in Southern? <laughs> Sometimes it is, but it can also mean like you're weird, but it's lovable. <laughs> so I guess you can just like take that whichever way you want. Yeah. I do want to yeah, say, yeah. though, your level, your vibe, it's, it's very consistent. Like you may be a little weird, which I say with all love and respect because I am also a little weird, but you're always going to be weird the same way. You're predictably weird. You're not going to just go off and do something outside your normal pattern. Like when we went to the ghost concert, you were doing push-ups in the middle of a crowd of people to stay warm because you didn't want to wear a jacket. Like, well, where was I going to store the jacket if I decided to- On your shoulders? No, if we go into the show- Around your waist? No. Hold it? That's not metal. That's not- We're going to a metal show. I got to dress like metal. So like that means- Doing push-ups in the middle of a crowd of people because you didn't want to wear your jacket. Yeah, that's kind of... Okay, but what I'm saying is that's weird. (laughs) That's odd. But that's very much your brand. Like, that's the kind of weird thing that you're going to do if you do a weird thing. I was not worried about you doing bad weird things. Like, I knew you were not going to get hammered, be rude to somebody, like, shout sexual things at the band like the man next to us for Twin Temple did. Oh, God. That... uh, He was so obnoxious. Honestly, Uh, like in a normal concert situation, I would have gone off on him about consent. But with uh, masks on, I knew I couldn't be loud enough to make an impact. Otherwise, I would have had some choice words for him. He was such a chode, man. But but what I'm saying, though, is your vibe is very specific, but it's consistent. Like you're not going to go out of your pattern and do something totally out of hand. And I think I like that because I think it's very genuinely you. So the other thing that'll happen is uh, uh, when people try to set me up with somebody is they'll set me up with somebody who I have a lot in common with personality wise, which is a big mistake because I'm a lot and I know I'm a lot. So maybe I need somebody who's like more low key and introverted. My, My brother and his wife are like that. Like you remind me more of him, I think, than anybody else I've previously known. Oh, well, he must be a really cool guy. He is he is really cool, but he is just like he is the biggest personality because he took he takes after my dad so much. Oh, well, that's a you're saying that I'm like somebody who takes after your dad. That is a high praise indeed. Thank you. But his his wife is a lot more low key. And it's a it's a nice balance because I think I, I think they balance each other well. Well, you you met my mother. My mother is much more a much more of a low-key person than my dad was. A low-key person. She's sweet and kind. Yeah, I think nice. I think the balance is is generally a good thing in relationships. Also, like I, I think like call me old fashioned if you like. And this may come as a surprise to people, but I really prefer to build up like a level of emotional intimacy with somebody before deciding to move forward with the romance. And that's one of the, I think that maybe makes it a little bit more difficult for me because I have a relatively small but tight circle of friends and it takes 
a certain amount of time for me to get up to that level of trust with somebody. And it's been a pandemic for two years. And so it's tough to like meet new people in that way and, and then get to that level because you can't like spend time with a person. You have to. Because in a pandemic, spending yeah. extended time with a person kind of is a commitment. So uh, I just want to say thank you for looking out for me, Didi. Uh, if you find any nice Jewish women, you can send them my way. But whether or not she will be my vibe or not is kind of a crapshoot. You want to answer some more mm-hmm. questions? Yeah, let's do it. Question two is from Emily Elrod. And Emily, this is a great question for you, Sadie. Uh, I really love this one. How have you gotten to the point where you can assert yourself the way that you do? Ooh. That's great. I want to hear this. So the answer to how I have gotten to a point where I can assert myself more is over a very long time and with the help of a lot of people. One big thing that helped was I worked retail for a while. The place that I worked was a small business here in Portland, like a local store. And employees were encouraged to be kind and friendly and give good customer service. But the management did not have a rule that we had to be nice to everyone all the time. So, oh, that was, it was sweet. Let me tell you. I've worked retail before. Um, Man. So, working. (laughs) I wish we had that. Oh, I would have said some shit. Well, working in a part of town where there are a lot of bars, a lot of times people would come in a little too tipsy and they'd get like inappropriately flirty or just generally be a little too intoxicated to be in a retail establishment. So we were allowed and actually expected by management to just tell them to get out. And we had we had like free reign to, you know, get out and come back tomorrow or get out and don't come back for a week. We had a lot of leeway on how we handled those situations. So that definitely required me to step up and assert myself because it wasn't just about me. It was about the safety and comfort of my coworkers. And they were open late at night. Yeah, we open open pretty late into the night. And then I eventually became the night shift team lead. So then it really was my responsibility. And I kind of just had to step up and do it. Also, at the same store, there was just generally a lot of shoplifting. And before I go any further, let me say, we did not sell food. We did not sell period products. We did not sell diapers or medicine or formula because if somebody is shoplifting that kind of thing, I'm going to look the other way because there is an extremely high chance that they're taking it because they absolutely need it. Even scripture says no man shall despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. And I try to live by that. If there is a chance that somebody is stealing something because they absolutely need the thing, I'm not going to say whether I work for the store or not. But... That being said, the store that I worked for did not sell anything essential to life. And there were a lot of shoplifters. So it was a lot of, hey, I think you put that lipstick in your pocket on accident. Did you mean to pay for that as well? Because management wanted us to resolve it without calling the police or anything like that. So I had to step out of my comfort zone a lot and be politely confrontational and sometimes not politely confrontational. One thing that I have also noticed um, since we've started doing the show is that you've gotten like if you listen to the early episodes uh, do you ever go back and listen to like the very early ones like the, the nope ones we no i don't either uh but a couple of times i i actually have gotten back and i was just like wow you know i you have gotten way more assertive just over the time that we've been doing the show that's true and i think part of that was learning your conversational patterns i think i've mentioned this before but my family is very big on not interrupting like it's one of the biggest things my parents instilled into me so part of it was i i did not feel like i could interrupt you and i had to learn your speech patterns so that i can 
get what I'm going to say in without talking over you. Yeah. So for me, that is absolutely not the case. I don't know if everybody already knows this, but like, so if you're Jewish, um, and especially if your family is from is Jewish and from the East Coast, like you just talk over each other, like that's just what you do. Like if you know how somebody's sentence is going to end, you don't need to hear the end of it because you don't have time for that. You see what I'm saying? Like yeah. everybody's just impatient. Get on to whatever the next part of the conversation. Like, did you ever see the movie Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler? I saw like two thirds of it. I I could not understand what was going on in that movie because everybody was talking over each other the entire time, and I couldn't catch the plot. And it made me so anxious that everybody was interrupting everybody. Really? Wow. Okay. So I watched that movie, and it was like. For me, watching that movie is like stepping into a hot shower after you've had a long day outside in the cold. Oh, my goodness. It literally made me so anxious that I couldn't finish it. Yeah. So like so for like I grew up, I had a speech impediment. Um, Like I had a bad stutter when I was a kid. Um, I had to like take speech therapy when I was in elementary school, which sucked. I got made fun of for that. No fun. Um, But it still takes me like. A lo- like you, you listen to me talk, you, you know, it takes me a long time for an idea to go from my brain to out of my mouth in word form. And if you grow up, grow up in an environment where people talk over each other, you realize that you have to to get your ideas out there. You have to start your sentences early. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Yeah. Like as the show has progressed, I've really had to adapt my uh, my style of communication like to not to try to not interject with anything because like if i do that i know that like our listeners they come from more your background than mine so they'll think that i seem like a jerk yeah and i think alongside getting to know how each other speak there was also a lot of building trust between the two of us like i like i know that if we interrupt each other we'll go back and make sure the other person gets to speak and we know if we say something that comes out weird it can get cut in the edit so we can say it again the right way we trust each other to give each other fair time and a fair hearing and we've built up that trust over almost two years of doing the show wow it has almost been two years pandemics like everything shut down like this week two years ago wow um yeah but when we first started out neither of us had ever podcasted before and we were like how hard can it be to talk on a mic about stuff and put it on the it turns out way harder than we thought it was uh but also easier than we thought it was in different ways i don't know a lot of it comes down to editing which is another thing that i've gotten better at since we've started out like if i listen back to the old episodes of the show i'm just like wow i left way too much space in. i want to go in and chop out all of the dead air it's irritating for me to listen to but yeah and i think it's neat though because people listen to the first couple episodes and then if they keep listening they get to hear us grow which is really cool to me and then also finally i'm still growing and i'm still learning that my voice and my opinions are valid and can be put on an equal level with a man's or with anyone else's for that matter i'm still working on seeing my own opinions as valid especially in areas where things really are an unprovable or hypothetical or just opinion, not something that can be backed up with facts or not. Mm. Like take our, our recent Patreon debate that we had about death with dignity, right to die. It is so hard for me not to just go, oh, your opinion conflicts with mine. You must be right and I must be wrong. I, I don't know how exactly. Really? Yeah, it's so hard for me not to just bend to conflict. De- like you definitely do assert yourself more than you used to which i think is great and unlearning of toxic things that you were taught which is excellent all right we're gonna move on to the next question um and we have baby chuck in here 
Uh, she's going to let us know if she has any special opinions about this. So if you say anything that she really doesn't like, you'll hear from her. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. This is from Bethany Hornbeck. Uh, Bethany says, hi, I am deaf IFB cult and abuse survivor. I love your podcast. Would you ever consider doing more YouTube content? Ooh. <sighs> So I don't know about you, Sadie. This is probably more a question for you. I have, I personally have zero interest in doing content for YouTube. In fact, I have negative 1000% interest in doing content for YouTube. See, on the other hand, I would love to do YouTube content. I do make videos on TikTok and I always include closed captions for people who use them. So I definitely suggest checking that out. I'm at Sadie Carpenter one on TikTok. The problem with me and YouTube is I feel like I need to look nice for that. So I got to wash and dry my hair and do makeup and pick out an outfit and then sit down to film. And that's just so far out of the range of things that I have time for with you, with this baby. <laughs> yeah. So the the thing about our show as of right now, I mean, I wouldn't call it easy to do with a baby, although that's not really like it's not really for me to say whether, but it's like doable. It, it's not easy for me to go to the grocery store with a baby. <laughs> It's it's wonderful. I love it, but it's not uh, it's not easy like it was going to the grocery store without a baby. Yeah, the the way that our work schedule is like is usually I wake up um and there's a text message from Sadie uh saying when Charlotte's first nap is going to be and then that's when we work and we work for like an hour or like an hour and a half. Then we do that like 3 or 4 days a week. And then on the remaining days, like maybe we'll do, we'll either work one or two times a day during the naps. So like de depending, we're either working in the morning and afternoon or in the morning or just in the afternoon. We do that three or four days a week. And then on one of the remaining days is taken up by me doing the edit. And that's all done like sitting in front of my computer or in front of a microphone or like I, I could literally be sitting in front of my computer, like in a bathrobe just like having rolled out of bed because we've already done all of our prep and it's just like okay what we're recording at like nine cool i can have my computer set up at nine and then or like i come home from the gym i'm sweaty i'm in workout clothes it doesn't matter because i'm not on camera like See, for on the other side of things for me i wake up take care of the baby that's you put her down for a nap work on the show and then when she gets up from her nap i take care of her some more and put her down for another nap and then work on the show and then when she gets up from that nap it's dinner time and bath time and cuddle time and then after she goes to sleep i might still be working on the show so Oof. well i, I like it i but there's no you will notice there's no time slot in there for me to do makeup <laughs> or like iron clothes for that particular day because i work like 12 14 hour plus days on days that i work and I'm, I'm not complaining i'm really not i love that my passion and my hobby has turned into a side business for me and i love that i have the time freedom to put so much into this show but there just is not wiggle room in my schedule i can find time to make a three minute tiktok but i don't feel like I have to put on makeup or look any particular way to do a TikTok, which I do give credit. I give credit to Heather Heath. She is so naturally pretty, but she doesn't do a whole bunch of makeup or dress up for TikTok. So seeing her videos made me feel that I don't have to have a full face or special clothes to make a video. And that's been really great for my self-image in that regard. Yeah, it's a rare case of social media really improving my body image. Hey, mm -hmm. well, that's good for you. 
I'm 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 happy Hi, for good. you about that. So are you. The other issue with us doing YouTube content, th- I mean, there's a, a myriad of other issues, but uh, one, the monetization structure is different. Like the viewer base is required to generate, like that you need to generate revenue is much larger. So yeah. we can't do an episode that's like 90 to 120 minutes long because it, it, that's going to require more of somebody's attention. So if you're listening to the podcast, like, you know, we, I, I like podcasts because, you know, you can listen to it while you're at the gym, you can listen to it while you're driving, uh, vacuuming, uh, you know, like cooking, you can just be like hanging out at your house, you have a podcast on doing whatever it is you're doing, you know, depending on what your job is, you might be able to listen to it while you do your job. If you're doing video, like you've got to be watching the video the whole time. I mean, I guess you could just put it on in the background, but like, what what would we be doing in in video? Yeah, if it's just on in the background, we can't show people images or play clips for them. Like the video doesn't add anything to our content that we already have, unless it's something that somebody's just going to sit down and give their full attention to. Right. And if there's like a picture that we want to put up or like a a, a video clip that we want to, we'll probably just put it on Instagram. Uh, because that works too. Uh, I don't know. I I don't really like video podcasts as well because like a lot of those are just you just you're just looking at somebody sitting in front of a microphone anyway. The other the other issue with doing video is that I don't know how to produce video. Like my MacBook is eight years old. It does fine running Logic Pro, which is the DAW that I use. Uh, but it will not do any video processing. Um, and I've tried before to make it do video stuff. Uh, for various things and it just gets overloaded makes angry noises at me get super hot and then decides that it doesn't want to do it and like nopes the out so see i can do like super super basic video editing but i don't have um i don't have a computer to do it on yet yeah and also like the video editing takes time see i like i like video editing but anyway all that all that to say we really love doing just audio content but if you do want additional content that's always captioned and more visual feel free to check out my tiktok yeah you really did have some stuff to say she really does i think chuck wants us to do video content Uh, (laughs) well she's kicking my computer so however you want to interpret that Yeah. Uh, yeah. So one other thing, um, just reminded me that you are you are a deaf listener who who asked this question. Um, and a while ago, like a year ago, we said that we were going to try to do transcripts for our episodes. Um, obviously, that has not happened in the capacity that we would have liked it to happen. And we have had some people ask about that because we we like made it that we're like we're going to try to do this. Um, and I, I guess it's just, uh, I should just say what actually happened with that, which was that I spent like $120 on transcription software, which, you know, I, u- I used that to transcribe one episode and my computer barely got through it. Like it was freezing up and just not taking it well because it's old. And it ended up taking like two hours to transcribe the audio into text. And then I had to go through and like change all of the the things. And my my computer was just like not working properly for like days and days and days after that. So I would like to make transcripts happen in the future, but it's going to have to wait until I get a new computer uh, and enough time that I can like go through and do our back catalog because it's such like, uh, I mean, if... If there's a specific part of an episode that you want a transcript of, uh, then you can message me and I will see if I can get that through to you. But uh, having like the whole back catalog done, transcript, 
uh, transcribed. That's not going to happen in the near future unless like I get a new computer, at which point I will try to make that happen over a period of time. Oh, we also got another question uh, related to production, which was whether or not we see each other when we record. And the answer is no, we don't see each other when we record. Uh, We have only ever been in the same room to record one of our, I think it was a Duggar update episode. I think it was the one that was both a Duggar and a Hovind episode. Yes, it it was the one where we talked about Jim Bob running for uh, it was one of the ones where we talked about Jim Bob running for for uh, a state senate or something. Um, and Josh Duggar trial updates uh, and Kent Hovind or something like that. it was it was a bunch of things in, in one. Um, yeah, I really think it was Josh Duggar got a trial date and Kent Hovind got a new wife or something. Then right. again, that happens so often it's hard to remember. But I'm cheating. How many what wife is he on? Number five? Number four. Four, number four. But okay, it's, but it's been a while, so yeah. you never know. Yeah, it was from like September or October. Um, yeah, that's like the only time we've ever been in the same room for recording. We don't even have like a video chat open when we record. It's just like, yeah, and I think it's better yeah. for me because if I have to be on camera when I'm talking, I get too worried about how I look. And also not having a visual element lets me sit however I want. I have a lot of back pain, so that's pretty essential. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Um, Anything else you'd like to say, baby Chuck? No? So thanks to the magic of editing, baby Chuck is now in bed. So we can go on to the next question. Snap my fingers. It is done. The deed is done. Okay. Our next question is from Caitlin Ashleman. How were neurodiverse people, um, ADHD, autistic, Tourette's, et cetera, how are neurodiverse individuals treated in the IFB and fundamentalist Christianity? I listened to the episode on mental health and Sadie saying mental health isn't something that quote unquote exists in the IFB, but the above conditions don't exactly fit into the mental illness category. So do you, do you want to handle that one? Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to take that? Yeah. So I want to address, <clears throat> I want to address each one of the things that Caitlin mentioned separately, because I saw them treated actually very differently. Tourette's and I might also mention epilepsy in this statement were treated as a physical ailment. There were people, yeah, there were people with epilepsy in our church and a person with Tourette's often visited our church because they had family members in our church. I have heard from so many people that their specific church treated these conditions as potential demon possession, like, well, maybe there's something physically wrong in your brain or going on in your brain, but you also might have a demon, so we should try an exorcism. And I've heard plenty of stories of attempted exorcisms, especially for Tourette's, so I don't want to discount that. But in my church, fortunately, they were seen as physical health problems, like there is something different about the biological way that your brain works, and people were encouraged to see a real doctor for it. On the other hand, (laughs) yeah, that's good, but I'm about to tell you the bad. Uh, autism and ADHD were not treated nearly as compassionately in my experience. I feel like being fundy and growing up with ADHD would be a nightmare. I'm close to several people who did grow up ADHD in the IFB, and it was absolutely terrible. Uh, Like, I know of a kid who was suicidal as a young child because they couldn't be still and quiet like it was expected of them, and they thought that they were just 
extra sinful or something was like morally wrong with them. There was a there was a different kid a little bit older than me in my church who had ADHD and he was treated, I think he was treated really badly. Just in my opinion, he was always treated like an outsider or like a different type of person. I know that kids in regular public schools who have to go to the nurse's office to take ADHD meds often get bullied. So that's not exclusive to fundamentalism. But growing up, the person I knew who was on medication for ADHD was stigmatized because there was this perception that his parents were just putting him on medication instead of trusting God or putting him on medication instead of fixing his spiritual problems that were causing his ADHD. Wow. Yeah. And his parents stayed in the church. Yeah. Even though, wow. Mm. I, I just remember there being a lot of discourse about is ADHD real or is it just rebellion? That sounds like the absolute worst. Oh my God. I, it, it is the worst in so many ways because number one, who you are is the topic of discourse, which I as a bisexual person and you as a Jewish person can definitely relate to. Yes. Oh God. Okay, I know. I know what you're saying. So people are t- oh. like, it's never fun to be the topic of the day. <laughs> and not only are you a constant topic of discourse, but also a lot of the quote unquote treatment that's recommended by the church is just going to be beatings. Like the person that I knew that I was talking about a minute ago, I saw a youth pastor get in his face about you don't need your medication. You're just lazy. That makes me so unbelievably angry. Yeah, it does that's, me too. And i that's about all that I want oh. to say about that particular person's story because I don't like to get into details of somebody else's story without their consent. I try to only tell the parts that involve me. But how do you think this affected people who grew up with ADHD in the IFB? I'm, I'm sure you can make a really good guess of how what that was like. Also, like if you uh, grew up and you had ADHD and you grew up in the IFB, please reach out to us. Either you can send us your story. Mental Health Awareness Month is the month of May, I do believe. Is that right? It sounds right to me. Yeah. So if you grew up um, either you have autism or you're... Um, ADHD or, or something, and you grew up in the IFB, you can send us your story. Uh, maybe we'll read it on air, uh, like we did for Pride Month last year uh, for LGBT people. Yeah. And I also want to do, while we're talking about that, I also want to do some kind of Pride Month programming again. We haven't sat down and talked about it yet, but that was so much fun. And I'm so proud of the episodes that we put out last June. So I kind of want to make that a tradition because I loved it. Yeah. You know what? I'd like to do that too. Um, if you could think of any like real topics that you want to talk about that that we haven't really gone into detail yet, I would love to make that a great time to do that. That would be awesome. Even if we can't find like four full episodes of LGBT content, which I'm sure we can, but even if like we end up not doing all four, all of our episodes in the month of June about that, we could still probably like read people's stories on air like we did last year. That I think that was good. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed like making a thing out of it and definitely want to do something similar. I felt like I, I just really enjoyed the the different types of content that we put out that month, and it was all just my favorite. So, I mean, you talked about ADHD, you talked about uh, Tourette's. What about autism? I think that things have really shifted in the IFB on people with autism. When I was growing up, the messaging that I was hearing was certainly not as bad as the things that Greg Locke has been saying recently. Who's Greg Locke? Uh, He is that guy who said there's six witches in our church and we know who you are and we're coming after you. That guy. That guy. That was hilarious. Yeah, well... (laughs) 
I guess it, it was funny for me to see because it was ridiculous, but you're like, it oh, wasn't man. funny to me. It scared the absolute <laughs> shit out of me. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was terrifying. And he also said recently said some just off the wall offensive bullshit about autism because of course he did. He's on a roll. What'd he say? Okay, uh, he said that autism, epilepsy, and other mental health disorders are actually demon possession. And, of course, suggested disciplining children with autism to like get the demons out well, that's not great yeah yeah that's that's not I'm good that. that's no going Oof. to be terrible for any child much less an autistic child Ugh. um yeah Oof. so well, you know the one thing that i was thinking about if they say autism isn't real then it can't be caused by vaccines can it right so <laughs> <laughs> when when i was growing up the i think the general thought was some kids really do have autism, but most of the kids diagnosed with autism are just not disciplined enough. But for the few that really do have it, it's probably caused by vaccines. So that's the logic spiral that works for the fundies. Or if it's not caused by vaccines, it's sin in their parents' life and the child's condition is a punishment on the parents, which I don't even like having that come out of my mouth because that is so toxic and offensive. That's really disgusting, isn't it? I have to say things on this show that just like... Even quoting other people, I have to say things that are just so terrible sometimes. Um, Wow. Oh, man. So I... Yikes. I think that just from what I saw, I think that the ADHD people tend to get the worst of this particular train of thought in the IFB, but it sucks for pretty much all neurodivergent people. Ugh. Well, that's rough. That's a rough way to end uh, that question on. I guess. Okay, all, like, what did this, you expect, though? I mean, this is the IFB and a, a a serious medical problem that we're talking about. Yeah. Did you so. Did you really expect me to say, "Oh, they're actually super accepting of newer neurodivergent people"? You know, sometimes you tell me something, and I'm like, "Oh, that's a lot better than I expected it to be." Yeah, so, I, I uh, just I can't pull one of those off all the time, unfortunately. No, sadly, I wish you could. <laughs> For your sake. <laughs> ah, okay, so it's it's time for us to go to break. We're going to take a break here, and then we're going to come back. And we've got more questions for you in the second half of the episode. Okay, let's do it. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, That group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We are back uh, and we have another voice recording to start off the second half of this episode. Somebody who is one of our patrons of Victoria Gordon. She sent us a voice recording uh, and I'm going to play it right now. Hey, Sadie and Gavi. Um, thank you for doing another Q&A episode. I always love these. This question's really for Sadie, obviously. I want to know how you plan to discuss your past with Chuck, um, how you want to address growing up in the Fundy world and how you want to impart that education. Obviously, you've got basically a one-year-old now, so it's a little hard to say at this point probably all the particulars, but how do you plan to introduce that into your kid's life and future kids as well? Thanks. So, so that is that is another <clears throat> really good question. I feel like my thoughts on this are really similar to my thoughts on ongoing age-appropriate sex education as opposed to like a one-time sit down and have a really awkward conversation with your parents event. I don't see... Oh, but that's iconic. The talk is iconic. Yeah, absolutely not doing that. <laughs> um, like I am already doing age-appropriate sex ed with Chuck by teaching her scientific and clinical names for her body parts before she and she can't even talk. And wow. I'm already doing consent education with her literally every day. I hope she grows up to be a very well-adjusted child. Um, yeah, either I'm doing a great job or I'm really messing it up, and I won't know for like 18, <laughs> 19 years minimum. <laughs> but like I feel we like do. This, that, <clears throat> that's such a first child thing to do. Where you're like, I got to get this. <laughs> perfect and then by the second or third one you're just like eh. yeah my parents did refer to me as their practice child um but with Chuck, like how we do i do want to talk about consent education for a 12 month old because this is going to be my soapbox for the episode we play a game where chuck loves being tickled and i know that she loves it because if i stop she will grab my hand and like put it back on her stomach or her foot or wherever i was tickling um so she clearly actually enjoys it and i'll like I'll say go and I'll tickle her tummy and then I'll say stop and I'll take my hand off and then I'll wait for her to like put my hand back and I'll say go and tickle her and then if she like bats my hand away I'll say stop and take my hand off and we'll play that like stop go game or I'll have Jonathan do the direct do the stop go directions or I'll do the directions for him and it will do stuff like that or we'll do the same thing with kissing her face I'll say go and kiss her a bunch of times and then I'll say stop and pull away and so wow. we're we're trying to lay the foundation that like when you say stop the person is is expected to stop so did you uh, just like figure out how to do this yourself or this did is, you like read about this somewhere? Um, the specific way that I do it is something that I came up with. But the idea of like stop and go game or like the idea of teaching consent very young is something that I've read a lot about. Interesting. Okay. That's and then we also like we very ask, smart. We ask before we kiss, um, ask before we hug. And she's too young to say yes or no, but I still think that the that there's a lot of value in cluing her in to the idea that people should be asking before they touch you. So very smart. Well, I hope it works out. I'll let you know in like I said, like 18 years. <laughs> yeah. So so on that same 
note, there's a lot in the realm of sex ed that there's no reason for Chuck to know as a toddler. And there's a lot that she doesn't need to know about my upbringing as a toddler. I'm I'm not going to sit her down and tell her my whole life story with all the details of of what all I went through. Maybe one day she'll start asking questions about the podcast. And that would be a starting point to say something like, Churches help lots of people, but they can hurt lots of people, too. Sometimes they hurt people on accident, and sometimes they hurt people on purpose. I talk about people's stories about that kind of thing and help people figure out what to do if they got hurt on accident or if they got hurt on purpose. And then as she grows up, if I feel like she needs to to know more and if she cares, if she wants to know more, I can tell her how specifically some people and some ideas that I heard in church hurt me, sometimes accidentally and sometimes on purpose, and sometimes I don't know if it was on accident or on purpose. And I can tell her how it hurt my brain, but I was able to get better. I don't think I'll tell her a lot of specific stories about abuse until she's an adult or close to adulthood. So here's a question. What if she starts listening to your show? I would try to keep her away from it until she was probably 16 or so. But what if she like decides she wants to listen to it anyway and just doesn't tell you? Well, Jonathan and I have a lot of ideas about phone use and internet access and children under 12-ish. But like you referenced earlier, we're first-time parents and we got a lot of good ideas, but we don't really know how they're going to work out yet. (laughs) I will tell you, I am constantly aware that real people in my life, like my family or my kid when she's older, might listen to the show. I think a lot of content creators can get pulled into a mindset where the digital world seems more real than the real world, and then everything that happens in their real lives becomes something to make content about. I'm really mindful of the people that are peripheral to my story, and I try to keep a wall between them and this show unless and until they want to break that wall. I've seen a lot of a lot of content creators just put everything about their children on the internet and that kind of that kind of worries me for a lot of reasons. But for another example, my husband, he's a really private person. So everything I've ever said about him on the show, it's either something he shared on public social media or I ran it by him first. So I guess all that to say, I keep in mind when I'm speaking that Chuck or other future kids could be listening, but I would try to keep her away from specific stories of abuse until she's old enough to decide if she wants to hear it, unless I think there's a reason that hearing that story would help her. I remember once when I was a young adult, someone had really hurt me, and my mom shared a story with me about something similar that she had been through, and I didn't. it hurt to hear a story about how someone had hurt my mother, but it really helped me to know that she understood the feelings that I was having. So so if I felt like there was a story about something specific I went through that would help Chuck when she's older, that would be something I'd share, but I don't think I'll ever sit her down and just give her the rundown of what happened unless she is, you know, close to adulthood and curious. So there's also the possibility that she if she she listens to the podcast and then she gets to the part where like she's in it, she's on it as a baby making noises, she might find that embarrassing. Yeah, uh, I hope not. <laughs> But that's always a possibility. I feel like I would love to have recordings of my parents when I was a little baby, but you never know. I think in one of like the early episodes, also, I accidentally left in like a poop emergency. Uh, Loki. <laughs> that's specifically why I asked you to take poop emergencies out of the edit, because I don't want to embarrass her in the future. Yeah. Sorry, future Chuck, who is listening to this podcast in the year uh, 2036, when you have finally been given permission to do so. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I hope your mom, 
uh, gets you a flying car for your sweet 16 to make up for uh, embarrassing you on the internet. I hope your so. Uncle Gavi gets you a flying car for your sweet 16 <laughs> because this hypothetical future embarrassment is not my fault. Uh, we'll see how rich I am by then. Uh, flying car might be in order. Who knows? Question. Our next question is one that we get very frequently, like time and time and time and time again uh, from people who discover the show and then they want to they like want to know the answer to this question um which is why did you decide to convert to catholicism oh boy okay let's yeah. let's do so, it yeah so like we have concrete plans to talk about this because this is like ever like people always ask us about this <clears throat> um, i like i can't tell you how many times We've said, hey, we want questions, and then like, bam, 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 bam. Like, yeah. why Catholicism? And I do, I do want to do an, a whole episode where we go into this because, in order to understand my full reasoning, I literally have to go into my beliefs about the literality of God and the literality of Scripture, like entirely who or what I believe God is. And my beliefs about heaven and hell, there is so much that has to be explained for you to get the full picture of why this works for me. And I always get the the instinct to answer this question in the short term with because I want to. Phenomenal answer. <laughs> but I understand that like that should be enough if I wasn't a public figure and if I wasn't a public figure who speaks about abuse and religion, I am that person. And because I am that person saying because I want to is not sufficient and you shouldn't be satisfied with that as a listener to my show. So I want to do like a short sum up and see if I can get the overview without the backstory of who and what I think God is and, and what I think a sin is and 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 because the short answer is because the religion and the traditions are meaningful to me. What I want you to know before we come out with a full episode about it is that I reject the idea that you would be going to hell if you're not Catholic or that you would go to hell if you're not a Christian. And that's mainly because I don't believe in hell. But there are a lot of other reasons as well that I frankly don't believe that. When we get into our episode about it, I want to talk about how I deal with the church being very backwards on some social issues. The big one for me being the treatment of LGBT people. I want to get into some my takes on some of the biggest non-political issues facing the church, like the safety of children and whether priests should be able to have families. I think it's predictable that I have very progressive takes on some of the social issues of the church, like LGBT people, abortion, birth control. But my opinion on whether priests should be able to marry and have children is actually extremely traditional, and I'm going to tell you why. So I hope that starts to answer the question and lets you know how comprehensively I'm going to try to cover this when we do a full episode. So can I announce when it is that we're actually going to do a full episode on this? You can, but mm. my conversion is not going to be complete when I was expecting it to because my dad was a witness for my confirmation and I don't know what his death is going to do to the process. So f my life. <laughs> yeah. Oof. So our plan was originally, and we haven't discussed changing this, but we probably we might change it. I don't know. Our plan was originally that uh, Sadie's confirmation was going to be right around Easter Sunday this year. <clears throat> um, and we thought, what better time to talk about 
converting to Catholicism then as like an Easter special. It was going to be great. So if you want to do an episode about my reasons around Easter anyway, that's fine. But my conversion probably, I don't think it's going to be done because he was like the main person who is going to so somebody has to who knows me well has to vouch for my faith history and my true desire to join the church and that person died on me so yeah no fun yeah <laughs> so for, for easter uh maybe we'll do that uh maybe we will do something else i don't know i don't know what would be a better topic for easter uh i don't know I mean, we Save could always just dad. do jesus yeah. christ superstar i still want to we make could. you watch that really bad i mean i i wouldn't be against it i don't know da- yeah i mean your dad dying really f-ed us up like <laughs> <laughs> i do want to let <laughs> you know it's okay gobby ran that joke by me before we recorded it's fine <laughs> Um, no, I like, seriously, I lost my dad and my best friend in one fell swoop. And then I lost a month of my life dealing with the logistics and that sucked, but it also threw a monkey wrench into a lot of unrelated things like our podcasting schedule. So this would probably be a good place to, to let you, the audience know that I, I do deal with the worst possible circumstances through humor. And that if you did know that already from listening to this, I feel like people are aware that like that humor and sarcasm are kind of how I deal with this. Yeah. So just a heads up for the next few months, there like at least maybe longer. I don't know. uh, There's going to be dead dad jokes. We're going to we're like it's going to. Yeah. And I'm going to try to keep it to a minimum because I know what. And I know what my family would be okay with if they heard the show, but I don't want to trigger people who are more sensitive because there's no wrong way to grieve. Some stuff might slip out. My whole family, we just, we deal with grief through humor. This is just how we cope. And I really think it comes from being a pastor's family all those years. Well, that's very Jewish of you to (laughs) cope with grief through humor. Coping with grief through humor is a valid way to cope with grief. Yeah. I'm not gonna I'm true. not gonna say on mic some of the stuff that my family said while I was in Alabama, but I'll tell you off mic and you will probably oh, think it's hilarious. Leaving Eden after dark. That's what's gonna happen. <laughs> oh, no, no. Leaving on Eden note, after both of the hosts have too much Red Bull. If you want more dead parrot content my friend nadine runs a meme account called varsity grief squad on instagram you can look that up there so if like dead parent jokes are really your thing no seriously if you're going through this and and you would be helped by just memes and knowing that you're not the only person going through this by all means check it out i highly recommend it yeah honestly top tier content uh next question okay sadie um, this, this one comes from Chris Jesse, and this one is, what is the most ridiculous thing that you have ever heard an IFB pastor call a sin with little to no biblical backing? And then number two is, are there, do you have any tips for, uh, former fundy slash fundy lights who struggle with guilt over LGBT attractions or identities in the wake of a youth immersed in spiritual abuse and propaganda? Two great questions right there. Two excellent questions. And then there's one question for me on the end of that, which is my uh, 2022 F1 championship slash boldest predictions. Um, Okay. I'll get to those later. I'm loving that we're starting to get questions for you. Me too. Because then I just don't, I don't feel like I'm just being like interrogated. (laughs) So, okay. The most ridiculous thing that I've ever heard an IFB pastor say was a sin with little to no biblical backing. The one that comes to mind for me 
was not a pastor. It was a pastor's wife. But she was saying that it was a sin to wear rings on any finger other than your wedding ring finger because it signifies. Really? Yeah, because so she had like a whole diagram of what finger signifies what, like your left pinky signifies that you're into drugs and then your left middle finger signifies that you're a swinger, but your right middle finger signifies that you're just into promiscuous sex with anybody, but you're not attached to somebody else. Um, Your right thumb is bisexual and your left pointer finger is lesbian. Like she had like an entire scheme where every finger meant something. And if you wear rings on those fingers, then you're signifying to the world that you're into all this quote-unquote deviant stuff is this like the thing where they're they're saying that what was it what where you're they think that like whatever it is you're like what kind of shoes you're wearing or how your shoes are laced uh tells people what sexual acts you are that was the thing yeah like lacing your shoes weird and which is really funny because fundies think that everything is hanky code but they don't know about hanky code (laughs) and it cracks me up hanky code is (laughs) that's that's lesbian right no that's so it started it started with gay men and i don't know what the community is like in other areas but in portland the lesbian community does a variation of hanky code and then some people make the bandanas into little bows and wear them which i think is adorable so it changes from like city to city um no so the the colors are the same and the, like the left right orientation is the same but the only i've only heard of people making them into hair bows in portland really yeah i just think it's the oh, cutest i think that's the, the literal cutest lesbian thing that's ever happened that is fun yeah, well, I'm happy. For but the fundies it. think yeah. that everything is hanky code, <laughs> except for they don't know about actual hanky code. So that's just the funniest thing to me. Um, yeah. The other mm-hmm. most ridiculous thing I've heard an IFB preacher say was a sin um, is a story from my dad. My dad used to talk about how a preacher at Hiles Anderson said that wire rimmed glasses are a sin and only plastic glasses are okay. What? Huh? What? Uh? What? Wait. I don't so know. Everybody... I just remember that my dad used to tell that story. When did they? Okay, but when did they invent like plastic glasses? Because before like plastics became the like mid century is really when plastics really became the thing. You know, fifties, sixties. Before that, all the glasses had to be wire rimmed, right? I I so don't know. Oh, everybody. I, just, yeah, I pre- wish. Like, if my dad were still here, this would be the kind of thing I would call him about and try to get an answer on. But I just have to go on memory. (laughs) But I know I remember him saying this. Wow. That's nuts. That's that's so funny. (laughs) So I want to get to the second part of the question, though, because tips for former fundy or fundy light people who struggle with guilt over LGBT attractions. I'll tell you what worked for me, because I think that's what I can speak to the most accurately. The foundation of the fundamentalist belief that being gay is a sin is that being gay is a choice because mainstream Christian theology does not recognize that you can do a sin on accident, that there's a difference in your culpability if you do something on purpose versus if you do it on accident. Even the Catholic Church has a theology based around that. Like for a sin to be able to send you to hell in the Catholic Church, it ha- you have to know that it's wrong and then choose to do it with the full knowledge that it is wrong and in your right mind. So in the Catholic Church, like a a murder that's done in the heat of passion is a different type of sin than a premeditated murder. And it's a different type of sin than an accidental homicide or like a negligent homicide. And the fundamentalist view of 
being LGBT is that it's something that you choose to do. It's you've either um, committed blasphemy against God and God has turned you over to a reprobate mind, or you have just chosen, this is a sin and I want to do it. Um, Or in the case of more liberal theologies, you were born gay and it's your cross to bear from God. And you can choose to give in to that or you can choose God's way and become a good straight person. But it's all based around the idea that this is something you choose. And I grew up as a bisexual person. I knew that I had attraction to men. So therefore, in my mind, I knew that I wasn't gay. Oh, must be straight. I'm attracted to men. Cool. Don't have to think about that anymore. Because I knew that I had never chosen to not be straight. So therefore, I thought, oh, I'm fine. And as I got older, it became clear that I also experienced attraction to women. And that really confused me because I could not put it together. How did I choose this? Like, I must have chosen it because being not straight is a choice, but I must have chosen it with the full knowledge that it was a sin. And I cannot think of when I did that. And as I started to process this realization that I was having, I realized that I had been showing attraction to women or other girls since way before I was ever experiencing attraction to men. I didn't experience attraction to men until I was in my teens, but I was experiencing attraction to women at a much younger age, which is more in line with when most children begin to experience the very beginnings of attraction. It was like a grade school kid. So as I thought through and thought through and thought through, I tried and tried to figure out when did I make a choice to be a sinner? Was it when I was six or seven years old? How could I have possibly chosen this? And the bottom line for me was I didn't choose this. This is the this is part of my identity. This is part of who I am. And the the thought process that that led me down is that God doesn't make mistakes. If there is a God and if he did create you, he created you exactly the way that you are. And I do not choose to believe in a God who would create you and then expect you to deny a fundamental part of yourself. I think that's cruel. And I personally do not choose to believe in a God who would be cruel like that. The, and that's, I just, I just don't. Just like I don't believe in a God who would be cruel enough to send somebody to hell for thinking incorrectly. That's ludicrous to me. And the way I look at it, honestly, if I die and go to the afterlife one day and I find out that I was wrong all along and that that is the God that exists, fine. He can take it up with me. So so that's that's kind of how I dealt with the philosophical side of this. Like I said, I think in the first episode of our show, I still I woke up the, the morning after the first time I kissed a girl and thought, oh, my God, I'm going to hell. God does not love me anymore. So like that baked in guilt is really a thing and it will come into your mind. But what helped me with that side of it is realizing that that is not a thought that I have. That is a thought that was programmed into me and that I own my brain. I am in charge of my brain. And if there was programming put in my brain that I don't like, it is my prerogative to take it out. Reprogramming your own brain is hard. And 99% of us, it's not something that we can do overnight, like flipping a light switch. You know, we can't go, oh, I don't like that thought. I don't want it in my brain anymore. Because if we could, I probably wouldn't have PTSD. But but recognize that your, your thoughts and your brain are your own. 
That is a powerful concept that can really take some time to sink in. But if you've got a thought in your brain that you don't philosophically agree with and you want it out, you can get it out over time through reprogramming yourself. So that's kind of, I think those are like the two sides of it, like the philosophical side and the experiential side. But those are concepts that have helped me. You know, Sadie, I just want to say this. I am constantly in awe of the words that you speak on this show. Um, I think that was an excellent sentiment that you just put forward. Um, Thank you. I I just, the thing about me is I just think a lot. Like I'm, I'm one of those people, before I go to bed, I have to sit and play like solitaire or something on my phone to just let my brain go. And I just kind of have to have something to do with my hands and my brain just kind of runs off and does its own thing. And I just, I just think a lot. And so all of that, all of that stuff, I like, I can't say stuff like that off the cuff. It's stuff that I've been thinking about and chewing over dozens or hundreds of times over years and years and years and years. And then finally it's ready for me to say it to somebody else. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds, it sounds polished. It sounded prepared. It sounded like you, you would put a lot of thought into that. I, I Well, cause I've said it to myself a thousand times. I've just never said it to anybody else before. <laughs> but I hope that, that I hope that that's somewhat helpful. Okay, do you want to answer the Formula One part of that question? Yes, I would love to. Because um, I know that you probably serious. have a lot to say about that. <laughs> yeah, uh, so F1... Okay, so this episode is coming out the day after the first race of the season, but we're recording it the week before the first race of the season, so I don't know who's going to be fastest. We've just had preseason testing. Um, when we first started working on this episode and I first started like thinking about, okay, what are my predictions? It was like mid February. So it was before we'd even seen what all of the cars looked like yet. Um, it was like a month ago. Um, and I, so I made some predictions, um, and then Sadie's dad died and we had to like put this off for a month, but, but I will testify that this has been written down for a month. Yeah, so some of the predictions that I made at that point already have come true. First one, Ferrari is going to be quick. Second one, uh, Red Bull and Adrian Newey are going to come out with some crazy weird innovation that is going to give them uh, also a very fast time. The one that I'm most proud of and is uh, 100% true as of now is that in uh, 2022... Uh, Nikita Mazepin will not drive a Formula One car anymore uh, because, as you know, uh, Nikita Mazepin's race seat was dependent on his father's company, Uralkali, uh sponsoring the team. But since they are a Russian fertilizer company run by Dmitry Mazepin, who is Nikita's father, who is a Russian oligarch with close ties to Vladimir Putin, Haas F1 team terminated the sponsorship and replaced Nikita Mazepin with their old and better driver, Kevin Magnuson. Um, solid F1 driver, knows the team, reliable, good at setting up and developing a car. Very happy about this. Everyone hated Nikita Mazepin. Um, everyone seems to be happy about this, except for Nikita Mazepin himself and the four people in the entire world who, for God knows what reason, like Nikita Mazepin. He's a d uh, my boldest predictions, though, is that there will be four first-time race winners. Count them. Four. I'm guessing Carlos Sainz Jr., Lando Norris, George Russell, uh, who is going to be up driving for Mercedes for the first time this year. Very excited about that. 
And finally, a uh, fourth new race winner this year is going to be uh, the Canadian sensation Daddy's Cash himself, uh, Lance Stroll, Sir Lancelot. Uh, also, I'm predicting a podium finish for Williams uh, and a real one this time, not just like a, a weird uh, wet race where shenanigans happen. My regular prediction I think that Ferrari and Red Bull will be the two teams to beat at the start of the season. Max Verstappen will defend his title and win his second consecutive World Drivers' Championship, and that Mercedes themselves will get into the mix later in the season once they get the porpoising under control. Um, at the time this episode comes out, it will be the day after the race, so we'll see if that's true. Uh, but at preseason testing... Uh, when we were watching the cars drive around, Mercedes showed up with their like crazy side pod design that was like not there. And everyone lost their minds and thought that the car looked like it was going to be amazing. But then it was porpoising real hard on the straights and even through the corners. So I think that's going to give them trouble. What is porpoising? Do you want to know? Uh, I will tell you on the Patreon uh, because I, okay. I other people don't want to listen to me talk about F1. So if you want to listen to me talk about F1 and aerodynamics, uh, Okay, so this is a question for both of us, but I feel like Gavi's going to have maybe more to say. What do mainstream Jews think of Orthodox Jews? Is it like how mainline Protestants think of fundies? Have you seen unorthodox or my unorthodox life? And what do you think of them? So this question, I feel like this is like a backdoor way of trying to ask me if I think Orthodox Judaism is a cult. Um and I think now is a great time to talk about the approach that Sadie and I have uh, when talking about various religious groups uh, and whether or not they're cults, because we've been asked a lot about this. Like we've been asked, are the Amish a cult? Is Mormonism a cult? Is Orthodox Judaism a cult? Sadie and I have never been members of any of these groups, so we can't speak from personal experience. And oftentimes we aren't going to go and talk about a group of people and distinctively label them as a cult unless we have like a current or former member with us on an episode who like we can have a real conversation with about this and like you know in this country we have like the the basis of law in theory not always in practice in theory is that if you're going to make an accusation against somebody uh they've got to have the opportunity to speak in their own defense or at least you know have to be innocent until proven guilty so Unless it's like Christian fundamentalism or fundamentalism adjacent, we don't really talk about uh, we we don't talk about it unless we have someone with knowledge. Obviously, maybe there's exceptions like Scientology. We said that's definitely a cult uh, because duh. But we get a bit of stick for you know when we put out a, our primer episode and we didn't go immediately and say Mormonism is a cult. But currently, we do have plans to get somebody who was raised Mormon on the show, and then we'll have that conversation with them and we'll get like a real answer for you guys so that'll be good yeah because so we can see often behavior control and information control from the outside of a group but thought control and emotion control can be so powerful but so subtle that it's it can be hard to pick them up from outside the group and those are really key to what i call self brainwashing and which is really my threshold for calling something a cult the the exception with scientology is that we have hundreds of testimonies of thought control emotion emotional control and self-brainwashing so that's an easy Very call well for me yeah. yeah um because it's not just it's not hard to find it's right there and other groups though i always want to hear 
somebody's testimony of that thought control and emotional control before I want to make a call as an outsider. And you want to be able to ask them the questions yourself. Right. When when at all possible. Um, so Leah Remini, if you want to come on our show, <laughs> by all means. Um, uh. But my, my gut feeling on Orthodox Judaism is it's probably similar to Mormonism. I have to imagine that there are sects where people are happy to be there and feel fulfilled by their religion and their traditions. And there are probably some sects that are more cult-like or even straight-up cults. But I'm not going to try to draw those lines too finely without someone with real-life experiences. I will answer part of that question and say that I have seen unorthodox. I don't have the experience to say whether it's an accurate portrayal of Orthodox Judaism, but I've heard that it is semi-accurate about one very small group, but pretty inaccurate about Orthodox Judaism as a whole. And that take definitely resonates with me. It definitely makes sense to me as an outsider. That seems like it's the correct take. I will say I loved one thing about Unorthodox and it made it, it made me glad that I watched it. That is the portrayal of the first few steps out of a group that is a high control group. So spoilers in the next few seconds for people who haven't seen Unorthodox and plan to. But when Esty went to the beach and went in the water with her clothes on and took off her wig, that was a stunningly beautiful moment. And it was so, so relatable for me. Uh, Or when she sang for the first time, that like intimate emotional portrayal of what getting out feels like that is one part of the show i can absolutely vouch for it was 100 percent spot on and it was really beautiful so if you're going to do like the fundy version of that it would be what uh putting on pants for the first time or or yeah, yeah. There, there are tons of things that it could be but that would be a big one we're going to the movies so, for the first time to see get hard <laughs> So the thing the thing with orthodox Jews is that to outsiders like they they can't tell the difference in the way that they look or dress so often they'll just say that all the orthodox Jews are the same because they've seen some semi accurately portrayed in a dramatized for television version of somebody's personal memoir. Right. And that's problematic because it puts somebody like me, who's not Jewish, in the position of weighing a perfect portrayal of these feelings with asking myself, does this show cause real harm to real people who are not TV characters? Because I'm having to weigh, okay, well, it portrayed feelings that I know are accurate, but is there a chance that this could cause a real person to get hurt? And if it does have the potential to cause real harm, is that worth it to have an incredible representation of those feelings? And for me, the answer has to be no. I really just wish I could wave a magic wand and make the entire show shot for shot, but about an IFB girl, because that would take away that problematic, that like one central problematic aspect. And then it would be like the most perfect show ever. That's sort of the like the may, the show may actually like be an accurate portrayal of of getting out of a cult, like you've said. The actual setting, I almost feel like, is like set dressing, even though this is like somebody's like th- this is based on somebody's actual memoir. But back to the question at hand, one thing I also want to point out because I was asked uh, if what mainstream Jews think about Orthodox Jews, I want to point out that Orthodox Judaism is is a mainstream branch of Judaism. In the world, there are 15 million Jews, 15 million of us, not a lot or thereabouts. Uh, something like 2 million of them are some form of Orthodox. You've got a lot of different kinds of Orthodox. Like I know that when you guys hear Orthodox, you're thinking like black hats, coats, payout, um, beards, 
but there's also like modern Orthodox, which has a lot, like a lot of the same religious teachings, some of the same religious teachings, but aren't anywhere near as restrictive when it comes to lifestyle. Like my dad was raised in uh, and bar mitzvahed in a modern Orthodox synagogue. The que- but the question is like, what what do uh, not Orthodox people, I guess, think of them? I so I can't speak for anybody other than myself, but my take is that. I wouldn't say that I think of them as the same way that like mainline Protestants think about the fundies because what like what they're doing, how they're living at least and and their traditions is it's a lot in the same ways as the way that my ancestors lived. So in comparison, like Christian fundamentalism is relatively recent, right? When did it come about like 1800s, mid 1800s? Yeah, there are seeds planted in the mid 1800s, and then fun- the modern movement of fundamental fundamentalism um, actually began right after World War One. Orthodox Judaism, I don't know, like exactly because wh- there's some debate about, it, but before that, there was like a difference between being either religious or secular, um, and Orthodox Judaism, as it is like known now, is really much just basically a descendant of. Like what it would mean to just be, oh, I'm religiously Jewish in, you know, the, the 1700s or, or whatever. Um, it, I think it's it, there's a much more direct link than there is between when we were talking about the trail of blood, how the, the Baptists are like, OK, we're 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 tying ourselves back to the Anabaptists. Mm-hmm. Tenuously. Yeah, tenuously. The link is much less convoluted than like it's like you can draw a straight line there. So I think like that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. So for me, it's not like, oh, these people. uh, They're not the fundies of the Jewish world is what you're saying. I mean, you could say that they are, but it's it's a different sort of thing because Christian fundamentalism is very much like a reactionary movement. Yeah. And also the so let's let's thinking about clothing choices, the motivation for Christian fundamentalists to dress the specific way that they do and the motivation for Orthodox Jews to dress specifically the way they do are kind of similar, but not the same thing at all. Like even the Jewish. so? So the Jewish concept of modesty is different than the Christian concept of modesty. Like from from what I've read about the Orthodox um style of dress like with the white shirt and the black coat and the black hat or the women who cover their hair christian concept of modesty is primarily about not causing men to lust it's all about like if you don't have anything for a man's eye to land on then he won't lust after you and he won't commit that sin but the jewish concept of modesty i don't know quite well enough to explain it but it's not that it's more about like the concept of like your body is a temple and you're doing this out of respect for yourself and out I of don't know tradition. That's, r- that's what like I've done some a moderate amount of reading on it, but I'm confident in saying that the motivations are not the same. So I, I'm not going to say whether you're 100% right or 100% wrong. You may be right for one group or another. I, I honestly, I'm just not well read enough on this to, to say that one way for sure. I think that generally, if you ask like re- reform and conservative or like and like secular Jews what they think of Orthodox Jews, opinions may vary depending on the individual. And while I'm not Orthodox by any means, like I'll go to Torah study with the Chabad rabbi every so often just because he he will have studied this a lot more than I have 
and whether or not I agree with his interpretation of everything, it's still like good for me to hear what he has to say. Like, I'm not a theological scholar. I'm not equipped to like debate the finer points of, of religious doctrine with actual rabbis, but I will like go and, and see what he has to say. You know, I'll go to Torah study with the Chabad rabbi. It's, it's not like a, you can't do that because he's not your same denomination thing. Something to think about though, uh, just some food for thought coming out of this is that in the United States, more than half of the religiously motivated hate crimes are against Jews. Uh, so we're like 2% of this country's population and more than half of the religious hate crimes are against us. Uh, so in fact, if you look at hate crimes per capita against vulnerable populations, the only people who are more likely to be victims of a hate crime than Jewish people are transgender people. Uh, so if that gives you some idea for how it is, uh, that's the only transgender people are the only population with a greater number of hate crimes per capita against them, which is terrible. And those are numbers from like, I think 2020 and a recent report found like a, a 37% increase in distribution of anti-Semitic propaganda in the United States between 2020 and 2021. So things are looking great for us. Um, yeah. Those and are just the, awful statistics. Yeah. Fun numbers for us. Uh, the Jew, the, like, and the reality is the Jews who are most vulnerable to hate crimes um, and the ones who are most frequently targeted for hate crimes are the ones who are most easily identifiable, which means visibly identifiable, which means uh, like orthodox. Uh, so like if you walk down the street, you're wearing a black hat, black wool coat, uh, you know, beard. The odds of you getting violently attacked or, you know, just harassed on the street verbally, it's it's not looking great for you. And that's one of the reasons like I'm very sensitive to content that is like othering or dehumanizing towards Orthodox Jews because like it, it can get people that I know attacked in the streets or in the shops. Um, it happens more than yeah. it should. I feel like the overarching message of unorthodox was worth telling, but not at the cost of people getting attacked. I've had trans friends who've been violently attacked and no one deserves that experience just based on the fact that they are visi visibly part of a marginalized group. Like I've had that happen to people that I care about deeply and it was so disturbing. So basically um I want somebody to hire me to write something very similar to Orthodox, but about IFB people so that Jewish people don't get attacked, but we can have the same level of representation of the feelings that were portrayed so well on the show. Yeah. And I'm I'm not saying that unorthodox is getting Jews attacked on the street and stuff, but I'm just saying I'm sensitive to it. But like that um, type of for, content, yeah. that type of content has the potential to, and it makes it a very difficult call on like... The portrayal, the portrayal of this specific thing can be so good, but then you get into like weird trolley problem stuff. Like if this show helps hundreds of people understand their experiences, but one person gets beat up about it, well, is that okay? Well, what if it's two people who get beat up? And you get into like trolley problem stuff very quickly. My, I like watch it if you want. Just don't base your uh, uh, opinions about Jews or Orthodox Jews on stuff you see on that show. That's basically my my take on it. it here's a question. If you made a show, this is from me, just going off of what you just said. If you made a TV show loosely based on your experiences leaving fundamentalism, would it be a comedy or would it be a drama? 
I could really see it go either way, but I feel like it would need to have elements of both. Like, what if there was a show that fit halfway between Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and Unorthodox? Like, not as campy as Unbreakable, although I loved that show, and not as high drama as Unorthodox. Maybe something more like... um similar in tone to Better Call Saul, like very gritty and serious situations, but still presented as a comedy. That could maybe be the right tone. So how would you feel if it were like a sitcom? Like if they did How I Met Your Mother, but the main character is a cult survivor who moves to Portland named Sadie? See, I wouldn't I wouldn't go that sitcom-y because I would want to do 45-minute episodes, not 22-minute episodes. Oh, yeah. Because like I talk, okay, so take the side hug from Hell Story. Like that's one that we all would be familiar with. That's funny now. It's ridiculous now. But at the time, it was such a big deal. And I would want to bring the audience in on how it feels like a big deal. And I think the way to do that is like, yes, it's funny that these characters think it's such a big deal, but also the audience is pulled in far enough to understand why the characters see this as world-shaking life-ending, even though to a person out in the regular world, it's not. Yeah, see, it's so interesting because it's got to be able to get deep enough on some of the finer points of doctrine, of like the theological doctrine, because like the detail is crucial for letting people get really immersed in the world that you, you know, that you were living in and that you escaped from. So like you're telling your story, it can't be all like, we've got to have the moment when the fundy man storms out of the church (laughs) after hearing jingle bells. (laughs) I think, I think you could do a lot of the doctrinal exposition creatively. And that's why I think we need me or somebody like me to write this hypothetical show. Because if you have regular writers write it, all they're going to have is a preacher on screen going off about something. And then that's how they do like the exposition of doctrine. But there are a lot of other ways that I can think of to work in the doctrine and the teachings that would be more show, not tell. To your point, there are so many just laugh out loud moments where ridiculous things happen in my story. And that makes me think that another direction you could go is have it be like the office, but with church people. That would be fucking <laughs> hilarious. Like, can you imagine uh-huh. like they pull people out to do ITMs and sorry, in the moment for people who don't read a lot of reality TV blogs like I do. Um but when they pull people, where they have the camera pointed at where you they have the camera like, like in the extra there. office and people go in there and, and tell the camera what they really think about their coworkers on the office. Can you imagine that? But with church people, oh my god! I've been watching Love Is Blind. Um, when I when I watch the Bachelor finale, that's the next thing I'm going to watch. Okay, well, don't believe everything you see on TV. There's a lot of of uh, uh, nonsense and shenanigans on that show. Apparently. Um, no, you you know what I could see though? Like say we watched Sex in the City like a while ago. We watched Sex in the City. How would you feel like and every episode of that show it would be like Carrie would be writing about a concept for her sex column and then they would go back and Charlotte or Miranda uh, would be dealing with the the same issue and Samantha would be dealing with the same issue in a different way and like like if there was an issue that that you know say you have a character now and you see them like like she she she's dealing with this issue now and then you get the flashback of what she was dealing with back then Ooh, the I same. like that. Yeah. There is so many so many things so many ways that you could go with this. You know what I would love though? 
I would love a Boardwalk Empire or like Mad Men style drama based loosely on the Hiles dynasty. Ooh, ooh, that could be so good. Why why are we not writing like 14 TV scripts with all of these different concepts and just sending them to everybody? I don't know. HBO, Showtime, Netflix, Apple TV, please hit us up. Not Um, Apple TV because I don't have Apple TV. And I'm not subscribing to one more thing to watch my own gosh darn TV show. Well, I have a roommate who has Apple TV. Okay, uh, okay fine. We, okay, fine. Yeah. Apple TV, you can hit us up. Yeah. Uh, next question has been asked countless times in our Facebook group uh, these past few months. Uh, and this is this is our last question, I think, isn't it? Oh, no. There's one more after this. Oh, really? Okay. Um, second to last question. Uh, we have a lot of f-ing questions, man. What's with all the questions? Oy vey. This one is has been asked by countless people, which is, have you seen The Righteous Gemstones? So I had gotten through most of the first season or the whole first season and most of the second before I had to go to Alabama. And I just I don't think I can finish it right now because of the whole preacher's family thing. That's just not the content I'm ready for at the moment. But I loved Eastbound and Down. That was one of our quarantine binge watches. So seeing Danny McBride with other actors that I like so much in this, it's a real treat. What I'll say about Righteous Gemstones is I keep having to pause it to explain things to my husband. So which things about the show are like are just like 100% on brand and what things about the show are like threw you off a little? I think the the um the money stuff does not fit with my experience because that's not the way the IFB treats money. So like how they have millions of dollars lying around, how they try to invest in Christian Christian resort. That kind of threw me because that's not the experience that I grew up with. I and also the one like there's one character who's a child of one of the main characters who is says he's an atheist and doesn't want to go to church and all this stuff. And that wouldn't have been something that was an option for me growing up. Oh, Gideon. No, it's Gideon's younger brother. Oh, yeah. Early in the show. Yeah. The entire story arc is so relatable. Um, I feel I, I love him because you never no, I haven't seen the end of the second season yet, so you never know what he's up to. And he is always like, you think he's loyal to one side, and then you think he's flipped, and he's loyal to the other side, and then he flips again, and he flips again. And that was so interesting, because that is exactly how it goes, Like especially from the environment that he was raised in. That is the kind of person that it creates. And that's the kind of person I try not to be. But it was that so that was so fascinating to me. I also felt I just I love Judy so much she does so many awful awful things but she is such a good portrayal of the frustration of being a woman in a misogynist church world she acts out for attention and she's such a control freak and she breaks the rules that she enforces on other people but she's doing all of that because that's the only way she can function in the world in which she lives it's it's beautiful the whole show it's full of people grasping for control and it, it talks about like religion and being religious leaders and how that affects your view of how what what you control in the world. I love a comedy that goes deep enough that it shows human nature and that's why I think I love this show. I really love it too. I th- I think it's I think it's hilarious. I want to say my, one of my favorite things from you know the the song Misbehaving? Yes. <laughs> when that song when when it's like uh 
and, and God, baby Billy, he's such a scumbag. He's such a hilarious scumbag. Oh, see, I, man, hate, every- I hate him. I'm like love to hate on a lot of the characters, but I really just hate him. Oh, I hate him too. But every time he's on screen, he steals the scene. It's amazing. It's it's incredible. Just mm. anyway, I, I think that's that's uh, enough of that one. Um, I've I've seen every episode. You, I, I love that. Do show, you yeah. want to go to our last question? So people wanted to know our take on there was there was a Catholic priest who messed up the wording of baptisms. He had been saying we baptized you, we baptize you rather than. I baptize you, which is the correct wording. And, and he's been saying that for years and for years, years and years and years. And like the issue is that he baptized people using an incorrect wording, which means that the va- baptism isn't valid in the eyes of the church. And those people, some of those people grew up to become priests. So that priest was technically never actually a Catholic. And then that priest went on to perform weddings and baptisms and confessions and everything else a priest does and are those things also invalidated question mark question mark question mark wow and people wanted to know kind of my take on that that's spicy it is super spicy i come down in the middle on this due to not believing in a literal hell i'm not super concerned i imagine that when i die god is going to sit me down and let me know what i got right and what i got wrong and I am 100% sure that I will get some stuff wrong. And I am really becoming very at peace with that because you'll get some stuff wrong too. And great theologians will get some stuff wrong too. It is what it is. I don't believe that I am capable of getting everything right. I don't believe that any person or even any church is capable of getting everything right. And I don't believe, like I said earlier, I don't believe in a God who's going to damn someone over something that small. And like I said earlier, if I die and I find out that that is the God that is true and exists, like a God who would send somebody to hell over a word spoken on accident, then I'm just going to I'm going to have some stuff to say. And you're you're going to have a problem no matter what. (laughs) I'm going to have a problem no matter what. And that God can just boot me to hell for all I care. It won't happen before I get my words in. (laughs) But on the other hand, I do think it's important to identify that kind of slip up in the Catholic Church because the traditions are everything. The whole point of the Catholic Church is the apostolic tradition, and it's mortifying that something like that slipped by because the whole point of the Catholic Church is that, like, Charlotte was baptized by somebody who was baptized by somebody who was baptized by somebody and up and up and up the line until it gets to the apostles of Jesus. So a huge appeal of the church to me is that things are consistent. Things are always the same. Like there's a ritual of the church. And that's one of the things that appeals to me the most. Words have meaning and it's important that we get every detail right when the entire point of the church is that we get the details right. So it does disturb me that it got messed up, even though I don't have any concept that it's going to send people to hell or anything like that. Do you think that the church could just be like, we're going to call like a mulligan on this one? And that kind of leads to my overall take, because my overall take is this is a huge deal. But I wish to God that the church took other issues so seriously. If you're a Catholic and you got in a tizzy about this baptism thing, but you didn't shed a tear about indigenous residential schools, you have a serious problem. I I think that both of these things can be a big deal. I'm not saying that they both can't be huge deals, but the real harm that the church has done is an issue that needs to be addressed at every level immediately right now and in an ongoing way forever. And if we can address that and this baptism word problem at the same time, great. 
But if we can't, the harm that the church has done is a more pressing issue. Yeah. So here's here's a question for you. This is from me. Um, is that when you get to heaven, what do you think are going to be your like biggest obscure W's and like you know things that you got right? Like something that like everybody else was telling you was wrong. And then God's like, no, actually, you're like one of 40 or 50 people who got that one right. Congratulations. Like <laughs> whole world, like, like no one was expecting that one. Like no one gets that right. But you go like, you know, like Doug Forsett in The Good Place. This entire conversation has big Doug Forsett energy. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing that I hope I get right, I would be so psyched if my visualization of heaven was even close to accurate. Like when I get too depressed about my dad's death, I picture him hanging out with really cool people in heaven like Chris Farley. Like he thought Chris Farley was so funny. And I would just be I would be really jazzed if he were hanging up hanging out with Chris Farley up there. Legend. I have a couple of very specific imaginations of what heaven would look like or what it would be like. Some of them are closer to I think some of them are probably a visualization that other people share. But some of them are pretty obscure. Like some of them, I don't think anybody else has the same idea that I do. And if one of those con- like concept arts for heaven that lives in my brain was close to correct, that would be really fun. I'd be really jazzed about that. So other side of this, I'm imagining God pulling up like, so you get there, you get to heaven, and then God's like, you know, congrats, you made it. Here's the thing, though. We pulled up your highlight reel. Um, you know how, like, on Inside the NBA, Shaq does a, a segment called Shaq in a Fool, where he'll, like, pull up eight dumb mistakes or, like, bad plays by players and then make fun of them? What do you think that, like, your Shaq in a Fool life moment would be? Like, God's, like, pulling up, like, I don't know what you were thinking here. So this that is was... this is going to go right back to depressing, but <laughs> I'm constantly afraid uh... that I have something big wrong. Like, what if God really is super misogynist and I was supposed to be his submissive wife all along? Or what that if that wasn't going to happen? <laughs> but like, what if God really does hate gay people? Or what if God is like a super capitalist? I still fundamentally don't believe that I would go to hell for it. But damn, that would be so embarrassing if I spent most of my life with one concept and I found out it was wrong. I I freak out about this all the time. Like, really, I think I'm right about the, those things. But what if I'm not is a so it's such a scary thought. In reality, though, my biggest L is probably going to be something about scripture interpretation because I really try to be accurate. But I also don't have a lot of education in the field. And I've probably said something super blasphemous. (laughs) And if I get called on the carpet by God about one thing, it's probably going to be one specific scripture. And I led thousands of people astray with like looking up the wrong word in Greek or something. You think you think it's going to be like a, a scripture or a theology thing? God's going to pull, not like just some a clip of like some really ratchet shit that you did. And God's like, this is very questionable behavior, right? <laughs> I don't know if I've done that many things that would qualify for that. Like, I don't have. <laughs> See, like the worst things I've done, most of them people already know about. I don't have a lot of serious regrets. There are things that I if that like. If I had the opportunity, I wouldn't do that thing again. But I don't have a lot of things that I seriously regret or I look back and go like, wow, I was a shitty person. I should not have done that. My cringiest moments are more like embarrassing moments, like the time I tried to lift a beer keg that weighed more than me for the purpose of showing off. And in the process, I dislocated two ribs. (laughs) (laughs) 
God's like, I punish you for that one right away. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, that's cringy. Oh. And it, and then it's cringier that I didn't go to the chiropractor to have them popped back in for a very long time um, because I was embarrassed. <laughs> but that's not going to show up on my, like, my shocked in a full clip. By God. Yeah. There are definitely a few. I don't want to make it out like I'm perfect. There are absolutely a few moments in my life where I look back and I'm like, wow, in that moment, I was such a shitty person. I am going to try not to act like that again. But there just there aren't that many because I'm pretty cautious when it comes to that kind of thing. Most of my bad moments are more dumb mistakes or embarrassing moments. Wow. Well, that's that's a, a fun. Right? We're we're like right at the end of this one. This is like a, every time we do a Q and A episode, it goes long AF. Well, we haven't had um, an episode in two weeks. This will be yeah, it'll be three weeks on three the day weeks. that this comes out. So it's fine. Hella it's- extra content for all of our listeners. Hope that you guys like it. Keep you you tied it over. Like um yeah. So before we wrap this up, um. I what I want to do is I want to put in another request to our listeners uh, because I love doing episodes where we get listener questions, listener content. But one thing that keeps coming up like in in the Facebook group uh or you know just people sending us messages is wild and insane and unbelievable testimonies that people give when they come back from mission trips. Dinah Housefire's first episode was their story about a mission trip. Yes. And that was hearing that story in the Facebook group was originally what made us go, oh, my God, we have to get this person on our show. ASAP. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the start of a beautiful friendship. Um, it's like just the most ridiculous story you'd ever heard. Um, yeah. One t- well, you know what we might do? Maybe we'll get Dinah to come back and like react to some of these with us. What, what, what I'm looking for is... Say you're sitting in church and somebody comes back from a missions trip and says just the the craziest thing that you had that you like they got struck by lightning while bu- building the church steeple and then they flew 30 feet in the air and uh, I don't know shot uh, the snakes that terrorizing the village with laser vision or something like that I don't know <laughs> some <laughs> yeah I think <laughs> or if you ever heard a story point, like or, but bonus points if it was you telling the crazy story oh wow. So if, yeah, so if somebody like, if you like embellished a story for dramatic effect, or you were pressured to embellish a story for dramatic effect, or somebody was like, no, don't you remember this happened? You're like that. Somebody like gaslit you into (laughs) thinking some crazy shit happened that never happened. Like, we're going to do an episode coming up about like crazy shit that did or didn't happen on mission strips. Uh, I think so. That, that sounds will be fun. like a really cool thing to do as we're getting back into the swing of making episodes. I think it would be a lot of fun to hear from listeners and, and, and <laughs> man, I hope we get some crazy stories. I, I, Please no, provide I know me with will. distraction content. It's really helping me. Yeah. And I think that's it. We, we've gone so long. This is such a long episode. Oh my God. Uh, so, uh, if you are like our show, if you're a fan of our show, you want to interact with other fans, you can go to our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash group slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. You can join our Patreon for an even longer version of this already long episode, which is uh, patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast. Sadie, do you want to plug your social media? Yeah, if you somehow want to know anything more about my life than I've told you in this long episode, you can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music. You can follow me on Twitter at Hell Yes Sadie, or you can follow me on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. 
numeral one. You can follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Leaving Eden Podcast and on Twitter at Leaving Eden Pod. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. And thank you for uh, bearing with us through Sadie's uh, month of tragedy. And we'll be back with you next week. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.